Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trickhauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Every year, PRIO holds its annual peace address, inviting distinguished guests to reflect on how to contribute to the creation of a world in which violence is the exception and peace is the norm. To bring these interesting, inspiring addresses to a wider audience, we'll be sharing some of them on the podcast as well. In 2020, we had the privilege of hearing from two young women on the topic of youth and peace building. Today, you'll hear Hajer Sharif. She's a Libyan peace activist who founded Together We Build It to support peace building in Libya. She was also selected by the UN Secretary General to serve as a member of the Advisory Group of Experts for the Progress Study on Youth, Peace, and Security, mandated by UNSCR 2250. Thank you, Priya, for dedicating your 2020 annual address to the topic of youth, peace, and security. And thank you for inviting me. It is great to see that there is interest in this topic. So to the audience, thank you for coming. For those of you with their cameras off, I hope you are enjoying this event in the comfort of your pajamas. I must say I envy you. As a starting point for my address, I want to advance three arguments. First, young people are key players in peace and security. Second, the majority of young people in any conflict setting do not choose the violent path. Instead, they mobilize for peace and security. Third, the role of young people in peace and security is still underestimated. For those of you who agree with these arguments, that's amazing. And for those of you who perhaps disagree with one or all of these arguments, I hope that this event will initiate the needed conversation that can convince you on how important the role of young people in peace and security is. So the primary question is, what is youth peace and security? Throughout the world and for decades, young people have been active in promoting peace from anti-wars, mass mobilization, leading protests for social justice to initiating revolutions aiming for democracy. When you look at old photos, perhaps from the anti-Vietnam War, the 2011 revolutions in the MENA region to the Black Lives Matter movement, the majority of people you see in these photos are young people. Young people throughout the history, the present, and in the future will continue to take an active stand and role for peace. However, and a big however, while thousands, if not millions of young people play an active role on the ground, which is the informal space for peace, we almost never see young people at peace negotiations, political dialogues, or any other medium for formal peace building. The understanding that you cannot build peace in formal spaces and disconnect from the informal space, which is the ground level, inspired young people and movements in collaboration with various UN agencies to demand a formal recognition for the role of young people as key players in peace. 
Thankfully, the UN Security Council listened and adopted Resolution 2250 on Youth Peace and Security. For many young people around the world, UN Resolution Security Council 2250 is an important framework and a tool because it is the first time that young people were formally recognized as key players in peace and security by the highest, if not the most powerful actor in peace and security globally. In my address, I will focus specifically on young people and their participation in formal peace processes and peace building. When we called for young people to be formally recognized as key players in peace and security, and, we, and when we say that young people must participate in peace processes and political dialogues, one of the questions we always face, even if it's posed indirectly, is why? Why young people must participate in peace and security? And I must admit, I hate this question. I truly hate it. When I'm asked that question, my first instant is, why not? Why not? If young people are the mass of peace on the ground, why not include them in political processes? If young people are at the front lines of wars, why not include those young people who are at the front lines of peace building in peace negotiations? Why not? Instead of putting the burden of proof on young people for why our role in peace and security must be recognized, supported, and why we should be included in building formal peace, in my opinion, we should shift the burden of proof. We should ask decision makers, mediators, and facilitators, and donors who are upholding the current status quo, why don't they include young people? The status quo that favors the violent minority, men with guns, over the peaceful active majority. It is unfortunate that the world has progressed on several social issues, but when it comes to peace and security, it appears that the systems, structures, and actors, sometimes even including the UN and the Security Council and the member states, who are the world's leading actors on formal peace and security, are still primarily focused on a state-centric approach to peace building. Where the old, in my opinion, dysfunctional power sharing solution for conflict resolution and peace building is the overarching approach to peace and security. Despite the effective role of young people in peace and security, young people largely remain excluded from formal peace and political processes. It is unfortunate that despite the progression the youth peace and security agenda has witnessed in the recent years, youth groups working on peace and security during extreme difficult circumstances continue to lack long-term program and core funding support that can make the work sustainable. While some armed groups are generously being funded, sometimes even by UN member states, the same donors who give peanuts for peace while they hand out weapons that cost millions and millions of dollars to armed groups. In my organization, the Together We Build It organization, recently we adopted a joke where we would say, 
next time we write a funding application, we're going to hire an armed group as a consultant because clearly they know how to get unrestricted sustainable funded. Or even better, maybe we should cancel our registration as a civil society organization and register ourselves as an armed group. This way we will have access to more funding, more political support and guarantee a seat at the peace table. It's sad that we're joking about switching sides, isn't it? So what can we do? What can we do to advance the youth peace and security agenda on our individual capacities, organizational capacity, but also collectively? First, we need to redesign the formal peace table where decisions are being made. As someone who is affected by armed conflict and as a peace activist, I strongly believe that peace is a public good. Therefore, everyone should have a say in, in building and making peace. However, the conventional small peace process, peace table, deals with peace as if it belongs to the few present at the table alone. And those few are almost exclusively senior men. If you give the right to the few to negotiate on behalf of everyone else without creating open and accessible mechanisms for the majority to directly participate, set the agenda and influence the peace table, then we cannot blame the few for negotiating in favor of their own interest. Therefore, I believe that we need to redesign the formal peace table. We need to design a peace table where no single group can be the majority and no single group alone would have the upper hand in the decision-making process. We need to ensure that there is a power balance between the men, women, and young people sitting in the room and around it. The redesign of the peace table must not only be on basis of equality alone, but equity should be the guiding principle when designing any peace processes. In my experience, when you convey this message to external mediators and facilitators, including the UN sometimes, you are often met with fear. The fear that the peace process will fail even before it starts. They will tell you something along the lines, if we push the negotiating parties to bring young people, they will strike against the process. Or we are afraid if we invite young people to the peace table, the fighting parties will leave the room. These excuses can simply be counter argued because with regards to the fighting parties will strike against the peace process or they will leave the process. In my opinion, it all depends on what the motivations of these actors are at the first place. Because if these groups are fighting to gain political power, then their ultimate objective is to have a seat at the table. They want to be part of the political process, especially when the UN and the Security Council are involved. If these groups are seeking international legitimacy, like in the case of Libya, then they will not strike against the talks or the process and they will not leave it just because you included young people. However, 
if these groups happen to voice concerns and threaten to leave the peace process because you included young people, then you should understand that it's not the young age they are against, but rather the agenda youth promote. It's the agenda youth bring to the table that scares them the most because they know once you include young people, then the process will highly be influenced by a human rights based approach, which will limit and restrict the fighting groups from reaching an outcome that benefits them the most without taking into account the society and its needs. So in other words, if you exclude young people from peace processes, be aware that you are not excluding their young age but rather their agenda of a human rights based approach to peace. And you are excluding, in my opinion, one of the best ways to prevent conflicts. The second recommendation I have is that we need to adopt an intergenerational co-leadership approach to peace and security. And to do that, we need to address few important questions. First, how can we bridge the generational divide in the global peace and security movement and how can we translate that nationally and locally? How can we kick off and build a systematic cross-generational exchange and cross-generational cooperation for peace and security? To answer these questions, we need to first have an informed critical insight on the generational divide itself. And then we will realize the fact that we do coexist in the same place, but we are not always working together. Some of us are ahead while others are catching up. These are the questions we at the Together We Build It organization asked ourselves two years ago. And the answers we reached is that we need to co-lead and co-decide for peace and security. Therefore, in 2018, we decided to officially adopt an intergenerational co-leadership approach in our work for peace and security, which also meant that we had to reform our internal structures to be intergenerational. This means that we have a diverse spectrum of ages participating at all levels of our decision-making processes, from board to senior management to project implementation, to setting the agenda and the strategy. As a co-founder of this organization, this is what I'm proud of the most, because I know that our work for peace and security reflects the beliefs, opinions and needs of a diverse group, senior, young, even as young as 15 and 16 years old girls. At the Together We Build It organization, we believe in the power of the present and the potential of the future. And this is what personally I believe in as well. However, I don't think we are utilizing the power of the present, which are young people, and I'm for that concerned about the potential of the future, which is the young generations to come. And I'm hoping through this event and in the conversation that we will follow, we will discuss more in terms of the practical steps that we can do together to advance the youth peace and security agenda. Thank you very much. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. You can also find a video of Hajar Sharif's address there.
Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trick Hauger. Music by Martha Nunnall.